Hey everyone, Todd here with Paranomaly. Tonight's episode is all about the Kenneth Arnold UFO sighting. And what I really enjoyed about this one, folks, is that Kenneth Arnold didn't just claim that he's seen UFOs. He actually tried to debunk what he's seen, you know, for himself. He didn't want to just come out and say, hey, we have UFOs, they're unidentified, and I know that's what they are because nothing else in the world could ever be like that. So what he did was he tried to debunk what he's seen, to prove or disprove. Now, to me, folks, that's that's an awesome way to do things. And uh, I think that's why I like this uh, story so much. Now, in 1947, now he, he claimed that he's seen nine unidentified flying objects. Now, he said that the speeds were estimated at about 1,200 mile an hour. Now, dig this, folks. Back in that time period, they had nothing that could even break the sound barrier, let alone go 1,200 mile an hour. So that is interesting. Yes, it is. Now, we could continue on with, you know, <laughs> interesting things that could and couldn't be. But for him himself, I really got to give the guy credit for uh, at least trying to um, figure out a possible explanation. So uh, back on uh, June 24, 1947, Arnold was flying from uh, Cahillus, Washington to Yakima, Washington. Now, as, as a private pilot, he was, uh, he was flying a Colair A2 and was on a business trip. So what had happened was is he had made a detour because he heard that there was a discovery of a U.S. Marine Corps C-46 transport plane that crashed near Mount Rainier. So he decided he was going to try to help look for the wreckage. So now a few minutes before 3 p.m., uh, it was probably 9,300 feet or so, uh, near Mineral, Washington. Uh, he, he had to give up his search because he had to keep heading towards Yakima. Well, he saw a bright flashing light, similar to the sunlight reflecting from a mirror, he says, and afraid that he might be dangerously close to another aircraft, he scanned the skies around him. Now, all he could see was a DC-4. And... This was about 15 miles away to his left. And about 30 seconds after seeing the first flash of light, Arnold said he saw a series of bright flashes in the distance off to his left or north of Mount Rainier. And that was approximately 25 miles away. Now, he thought they might be reflections on his airplane's windows, but he did a few tests to find out if maybe that was the case or not. So what he did was he rocked his plane from side to side, took off his sunglasses, you know, rolled down his windows uh, just to roll all that out. The reflections came from flying objects as he uh, believed. So he couldn't find any anything a logical explanation but he didn't keep to this he actually kept going with the uh debunking so i mean that right now he's like oh this is definitely a, a ufo of some sort so he said that the reflections 
came from flying objects, and they flew in a long chain. And for the moment, he considered that it might be a flock of geese, but he ruled it out because of altitude and this bright glint that it was giving off. And, you know, obviously it was going too fast for geese. I don't think geese can fly 1,200 mile an hour, but you never know. <laughs> With today's world and how things are going, it wouldn't surprise me. Now, uh... He thought as well that it could be some kind of new jet. And, you know, we know that the military has come out with some doozies that really, really confuse people. So, yeah, he was also com he was surprised that when he was trying to identify what he seen as jets, well, he couldn't identify it. So there was no identifiable features. So now... He said that they quickly approached Rainier and then passed in front, usually appearing dark in profile against the bright white snowfield covering Rainier. He said they occasionally still giving off that bright light flashes as they flipped around erratically. So we know these things were moving because they were definitely, you know, moving around. Now, sometimes he said he could see them on edge and they seemed to be super thin and flat and they were practically invisible. Now, according to Jerome Clark, Arnold described them as a series of objects with convex shapes, though he later revealed that one of the objects differed by being crescent-shaped. So that's interesting that one is like the lead and then the rest are, you know what I mean? <laughs> so several years later, Arnold definitely likened their movement to saucers skipping on the water, but without exactly comparing their actual shapes to saucers. But, you know, initial quotes from him do indeed have him comparing the shape to saucers, disc, pie pans, or half moon, or generally convex and thin. So you be the boss and the decision maker. Now, he used a Zuskowling fastener as a gauge to compare the nine objects to the distant DC-4. Now, that was pretty genius to use a cowling fastener to gauge because he knew how big that cowling fastener was. So he was able to try to um, figure out an estimated guess. So he wanted to see uh, if the nine objects to the distant DC-4 were comparable so he estimated their angular size as slightly smaller than the DC-4 and about a width between the outer images or engines, which was approximately 60 feet. Now, Arnold also said he realized that the objects would have been quite large to see any detail at that distance. And later he compared notes with the United Airlines crew that had a similar sighting 10 days later. Now, place the absolute zero, the absolute zero, I don't know what I'm talking about, folks. He placed the absolute size as large as a DC-4 airliner or greater than 100 feet. Now, the Army Air Force analysis would later estimate 140 to 280 feet based on analysis of human visual acuity. So there you have it. If we go by human visual acuity, you know, like, 
an estimated distance and other sighting details, we come up with 140 to 280 feet, which is huge. So now Arnold said that the objects were grouped together. Now, he had mentioned that before, too. He said that he's seen a string of nine unidentified flying objects. So the objects were grouped together, and Ted Bloucher writes in a diagonal step-down column formation stretched out over a distance that he later circulated or circulated. He didn't circulate nothing, but he calculated it, though, <laughs> to be five miles. Now, though they were moving on a more or less level horizontal plane, Arnold said the objects weaved from side to side. Uh, they darted through the valleys and around the smaller mountain peaks. They would occasionally flip or bank on their edges in unison, and they turned or maneuvered, causing almost blindingly light, blindingly bright or mirror-like flashes of light. Now, he had said that the encounter kind of gave him a weird feeling, but he suspected that what he's seen were test flights of new U.S. military aircraft. And what I like about his, his thing there with the military aircraft is he's still processing this as something logical. You know, he still hasn't thrown it out there that this was definitely an unidentified flying object and, you know, it could be nothing more, you know, it had to be alien craft. So now he said as the objects passed Mount Rainier, he turned his plane southward on a more or less parallel course. Now, he said it was at this point that he opened his side window and he began observing the objects unobstructed by any glass that might have produced reflections. So, again, he's still trying to debunk what he is seeing. Now, he said the objects did not appear and continued to move um, very rapidly southward, continuously moving forward of his position. And he said, curious about their speed, he began to time the rate of passage. He said they moved from Mount Rainier to Mount Adams. And then he said they faded from view at a, at a distance of about 50 miles in 1 minute and 42 seconds, according to the clock on his instrument panel, which he later had time to do the calculation. And his estimated speed was over 1,700 miles an hour. Now, this is where this was about three times faster than any man craft in 1947. So, I mean, yeah. So not knowing exactly the distance where the objects faded from view, Arnold conservatively and arbitrarily rounded this down to 1,200 mile an hour. Now, that's still faster than any known aircraft. <laughs> we haven't broken the, the sound barrier as of, of that time. So even if his guess at 1,700 mile an hour, and he, you know, he rounded it down to uh, 1,200 mile an hour, 1,700 mile an hour, good gravy. Now, Arnold landed in Yakima at about 4 o'clock uh, in the afternoon, and he quickly told a friend, an airport general manager, uh, Mr. Al Baxter, the amazing story. And before long, he, the entire airport staff knew of his claims. Uh, he discussed the story with staff, and he later wrote that Baxter wouldn't believe him. 
I mean, come on. This is something that I wouldn't tell anybody neither back in 1947. I mean, didn't they used to take your pilot's license or something like that? <laughs> so, I mean, he was uh, he was pretty um, pretty brave. <laughs> so, now he just uh, Arnold flew on and uh, he went to an air show in Pendleton. Oregon, and not knowing that somebody in Yakima had already phoned ahead to say that Arnold had seen some strange new craft. It was at that time that Arnold studied his maps. He determined the distance between Mount Rainier and Mount Adams. He calculated the rather astonishing speed that he had figured out, and he told a number of pilot friends and wrote in his account to AAF Intelligence that they did not scoff or laugh. So... I mean, AAF intelligence did not laugh at him, so they were taking it pretty serious. Instead, though, they suggested that maybe he's seen a guided missile, some kind of new technology. But although Arnold felt this explanation to be inadequate, he also wrote that some former Army pilots told him that they had been briefed before going into combat. And he said that uh, they might see objects of similar shape and design, as he described, and assured him that he wasn't dreaming or going crazy. So that's interesting on its own right, because here you have, you know, army pilots telling him that, you know. <laughs> now, Arnold wasn't interviewed by reporters until the next day, which would have been June 25th, when he went to the office of the East Oregonian in Pendleton. Now, any skepticism the reporters might have harbored evaporated when they interviewed Arnold at length. So, now, uh, Mike Dash recorded this. Arnold had the, the makings of a reliable witness. He was a respected businessman and experienced pilot. He seemed to be neither exaggerating what he had seen nor adding sensational details to his report. He also gave the impression of being a careful observer. Now, these details impressed the newspaper people who interviewed him and lent credibility to his report. Now, again, they are saying that he, he was a careful observer, which in my thinking, he, it's because he was using uh, a scientific method to try to work this out. Uh, he then added, the whole thing's gotten out of hand, and he wanted to talk to someone from the FBI. So, I mean, I get it. He was looking for answers, and the answers he was getting just wasn't good enough for him. Now, on July 7th, 1947, two stories come out where Arnold again was raising the topic of possible extraterrestrial origins. Now, both as his opinion and those who had written to him, in an Associated Press story, Arnold said he uh, received quantities of fan mail eager to help solve the mystery, none of it calling him a screwball, like earlier Doomsday Preacher Arnold spoke of. Now, many of the writers place a religious interpretation on his sighting, but others, he said, suggested the discs were visitations from another planet. And, you know, we can't confirm nor deny so but if you 
you know, we can only go off of your experiences. So what happens here, folks, is, you know, you have an experience, you tell your friend, your friend tells another friend and so on and so forth. And if they believe it, uh, then it's going to continue to roll. You know, that ball is going to keep rolling. It's going to get bigger, bigger, bigger. Now, Arnold, he said, added a uh, uh, extra feature to his plane in the form of a movie camera. Uh, and he said he'd definitely take it with him on every flight because he wanted to try to get photographic proof. I don't know how easy it would be to get photographic proof of something going 1,700 mile, mile an hour or even 1,200 mile. In fact, even 500 mile an hour. I mean, it would have to be going pretty slow. Now, in another story, Arnold was interviewed by the Chicago Times. And it said, Kenneth Lewis Arnold is not so certain that the strange contraptions are made on this planet. Arnold said he hoped the devices were really the work of the U.S. Army, but he told the Times in a phone conversation, if our government knows anything about these devices, the people should be told at once. A lot of people out here are very much disturbed. Some think these things may have been from another planet, but they aren't harming anyone. And I think it would be wrong to shoot them down. So even if it's, it says he, he, he didn't want them shot down, even uh, if it can be done, he said their high speeds would completely destroy those uh, craft. Now, Arnold, and pointing to the possibility of these discs being from another world, he said, regardless of their origin, they apparently were traveling to some reachable destination. Whoever controlled them, he said, obviously wasn't trying to hurt anyone. And he said, discs were making turns so abruptly and rounding peaks that it would have been impossible for human pilots inside to have survived the pressure. So he too thinks they are controlled from elsewhere, regardless of whether it's from Mars, Venus, or even Earth. So... You know, that's interesting. He had a good perspective right there. Now, in his Associated Press story from July 19th, uh, Arnold reiterated his belief that if they weren't Army, then they were extraterrestrial. I mean, obviously, if it's not our government or any of the armed forces, well, now we got to start looking at other things. That doesn't mean that some other country couldn't have come out with something like that. I mean, obviously, but yeah. Now, <laughs> the ex-University of Minnesota swimmer and football player says he now believes that one, the discs are not from any foreign country, and two, the Army could give the answers if it would. If they don't have the explanation now, they certainly could do something to find it out. And then three, if the army has no explanation, the disc must be, and I know this sounds crazy, from another planet. So, yeah, that is uh, interesting stuff there. Now, in April 1949, in a skeptical article in the Sunday e or Saturday Evening Post titled, What You Can Believe About Flying Saucers. Now, Arnold was likewise quoted, and I quote this, since my first observations and report of the so-called flying disc, I've spent a great deal of money and time thoroughly investigating the subject. 
There is no doubt in my mind but what these objects are aircraft of a strange design and material that is unknown to the civilization of this earth. How did he come up with this? How did he come up that this was, that it was built with a material that is unknown to be civilization of this earth? See, that's really fascinating because unless you actually touch that material, then you can't say it's from an unknown. It's unknown because he doesn't know. All he did was see something that he assumed was UFOs. Now, Arnold's sighting was partly corroborated by a prospector named Fred Johnson on Mount Adams who wrote AAF Intelligence that he saw six of the objects on June 24th. And that was about the same time that uh, Arnold saw his. Now, he viewed these through a small telescope, and he said they were round and tapered, sharply to a point in the head and oval in shape. He also noted that the objects seemed to disturb his compass. Interesting stuff right there. Because, you know, a lot of people that claim UFOs also claim about compasses and odd things happening to instrument panels and things like that. Now, an evaluation uh, of the witnesses by AAF Intelligence found him to be credible. So they're kind of buying into his story. But ironically, Johnson's report was listed as the first unexplained UFO report in Air Force files. So that's kind of like a bum deal. Now, Arnold's was dismissed as a mirage. Yet, Johnson seemed to be describing a continuation of the same event as Arnold's scene. So, I mean, they're stealing his thunder here, folks. I mean, Arnold was the one that was telling people. And, uh, yeah, they're just going to say forget it. <laughs> I guess the more people that come out and start to say, the more they take it serious, I guess. Now, the Portland, Oregon Journal reported on July 4th, uh, Receiving a letter from L.G. Is it uh, Berner? I think that's how you pronounce it. Bernier? Bernier, maybe. Uh, of Richland, Washington. And that was about 110 miles east of Mount Adams and 140 miles southeast of Mount Rainier. Now, Bernier wrote that he saw three of the strange objects over Richland flying almost edgewise towards Mount Rainier, about one half hour before Arnold. Now, Bernier thought the three were part of a larger formation. He indicated that they were traveling at high speeds. And he said, I have seen a P-38 appear seemingly on one horizon and then gone to the opposite horizon in no time at all. But these discs certainly were traveling faster than any P-38. Now, the maximum speed of a P-38 was about 440 miles an hour. And no doubt Mr. Arnold saw them just a few minutes or seconds later, according to their speed. The previous day, Bernier had also spoken to the local newspaper, the Richland, Washington Villager, and was among the first witnesses to suggest extraterrestrial origins. I believe it may be a visitor from another planet, he said. Now, about 60 miles west 
of Richland in Yakima, a woman named Ethel Wheelhouse likewise reported sighting several flying discs moving at fantastic speed at around the same time Arnold sighting. And when military intelligence began investigating Arnold's sightings uh, in early July, they found yet another witness from the area, a member of the Washington State Forest Service who had been on a uh, fire watch at the tower in Diamond Gap. And that's about 20 miles south of Yakima. Now, he reported seeing flashes at about 3 p.m. And on the 24th, over Mount Rainier, or exactly the same time all the sighting was, uh, that appeared to move in a straight line similarly at 3 p.m. Now, Sidney Gallagher in Washington State uh he reported seeing nine shiny discs flash by the north. A Seattle newspaper also mentioned a woman near Tacoma who said she saw a chain of nine bright objects flying at high speed near Mount Rainier. Unfortunately, this short news uh, item wasn't precise as to time or date, but indicated it was around the same date as Arnold's sighting. However, a pilot of a DC-4, some 10 to 15 miles away, uh, north of Arnold in route to Seattle, reported seeing nothing unusual. And this was the same time uh, the DC-4 was seen by Arnold, which he used as a size comparison. So, I mean, how can you... I mean, if the DC-4 people didn't see it, but, it, you know, it, it really depends on where they are as well. So, I mean, I can't, I can't just say, well, you know, if they didn't see it, then... But, yeah, they, it's possible that they didn't see it neither. Now, other Seattle-area newspapers also reported other sightings of flashing, rapidly moving unknown objects on the same day, but not the same time as Arnold's sightings. Now, most of these sightings were over Seattle or west of Seattle in town of Bremerton, either that morning or at night. Altogether... There were at least 16 other reported UFO sightings the same day as Arnold's in the Washington State area. Now, the primary corroborative sighting, however, occurred 10 days later, which was July 4th, when a United Airlines crew over Idaho en route to Seattle also spotted five to nine disc-like objects that paced their plane for 10 to 15 minutes before suddenly disappearing. Very, very, very interesting. And, you know, this is all within, you know, a week or so uh, from the time Arnold seen his clear up until, you know, people still seeing this stuff. Now, Arnold's account was was first featured in a few late newspaper editions on June 25th, uh, appeared in numerous U.S. and Canadian papers and uh, a couple of, you know, overseas papers, some foreign papers. Now, on June 26th uh, and thereafter, often on the front page, without exception, according to Blotcher, the Arnold story was initially related uh, with a serious, even-handed tone. Now, the first reporters to interview Arnold were Nolan Skiff and Bill Bequette of the East Oregonian in Pendleton. Uh, that was on June 25th. And the first story on the Arnold sighting written by Bouquet 
appeared in the newspaper the same day. Now, starting June 26th and June 27th, newspapers first began using the term flying saucers and flying discs to describe the sighted objects. Thus, the Arnold sighting is credited with giving rise of the popular term, the actual origin of the term is somewhat controversial and complicated. Now, Jerome Clark cites a 1970 study by Herbert Strenz who reviewed U.S. newspaper accounts of the Arnold UFO site and concluded that the term was probably due to an editor or headline writer. The body of early Arnold news stories did not use the term flying saucer or flying disc. However, earlier stories did in fact credit Arnold with using such uh, terms as saucer, disc, and pie pan in describing the shape. So that that in its own is uh, interesting that, you know, he could have coined the uh, word flying saucer, flying disc. Who knows? Now, Bequet, uh, Arnold told uh, Bill Bequet that they flew erratic. Now, like a saucer, if you skip it across the water, Arnold felt that he had been misquoted since the description referred to the object's motion rather than their shape. Now, Bequet has often been credited with first using flying saucer and supposedly misquoting Arnold, but the term does not appear to be in Bequet's early articles. Instead, his first article on June 25th says only, he said he, sl- he saw slight, slightly nine saucer-like aircrafts flying in formation. Now, <laughs> the uh, the weeks that followed Arnold's June 1947 story, uh, at least several hundred reported uh, of similar sightings flooded across the U.S. and around the world, most of which described saucer-shaped objects, uh, sighting by U.S. Airlines crew of another nine dislike objects over Idaho on July 4th, probably garnered more newspaper coverage than Arnold's original sighting and opened the floodgates of media coverage in the days to follow. Now, I believe, you know, back in that time period, like the 40s, and, you know, there was a, there was a surge of, like, sci-fi type of stuff going on. So, I mean, if you see somebody's illustration of a UFO from back in the 40s and the 50s, it's it's kind of um, how do I want to say it? Uh, it's kind of pie pan shaped, you know. You have all these these flying discs, so and they every one of them's like that. Now, Blotcher collected reports of 853 flying discs sighted that year from 140 uh, newspapers from Canada. Interesting. Uh, he got them from Washington D.C. and every U.S. state. Uh, save Montana. Uh, this was more UFO reports for 1947 than most researchers ever suspected. Uh, some of these stories were poorly documented or, you know, they were kind of missing information, fragmented. But uh, Blotcher argued that about 250 or more detailed reports, such as those made by pilots or scientists, multiple eyewitnesses, or uh, backed by photos, made a persuasive case for a genuine mystery. 
Now, adding intrigue to Arnold's story, the U.S. military denied having any planes uh, at all in the area of Mount Rainier at the time of the sighting. Likewise, on July 6th, speculation arose in newspaper articles that objects being sighted were due uh, to either f the flying wing or flying flapjack, a disc-shaped aircraft, both experimental planes, under development by the United States military at the time. Uh, the military repeated that neither aircraft could account for the sightings, which is also born out of historical records. So, very interesting. Now, the most famous UFO event, during that period was the Roswell incident. Now, we all know Roswell. Now, the alleged military recovered a crash-flying disc, uh, the story of which broke on uh, July 8, 1947. To calm rising public concerns, and <laughs> trust me, there was some public concerns with the Roswell incident. Uh this and other cases were debunked by the military in succeeding days as mistaken sightings of weather balloons. And we all know that the United States military loves to use the words weather balloons. <laughs> so, but it's funny. They were weather balloons, but yet they were threatening people that owned farms and stuff that if they had any of that uh, material or pieces of it, uh, they, they would be in some serious, serious trouble. Now, just before the Roswell story came out, the Army Air Forces in Washington issued a press statement saying they had the matter under investigation and had decided the flying discs definitely were not secret uh, weapons designed by some foreign powers, uh, new type of Army rockets or spaceships. Now, the first investigation of Arnold's claim, it came from Lieutenant Frank Brown and Captain William Davidson of Hamilton Field in California, who interviewed Arnold on July 12th. Now, Arnold also submitted a written report at the time regarding the reliability of Arnold's sighting, and they concluded, and I quote, It is the present opinion of the interviewer that Mr. Arnold actually saw what he stated he saw. It is difficult to believe that a man of his character and apparent integrity would state that he saw objects and write up a report to the extent that he did if he did not see them. Interesting. Now, despite this, the Army Air Force's formal public conclusion was that Arnold had seen a mirage. Of course he did. It was either a weather balloon or a mirage, of course. They don't know what it is, so, so to them it really is an unidentified flying object because they can't identify it because they don't know what it is. They didn't see it. Now, <laughs> so in addition, on, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in addition, on July 9th, AAF Intelligence, with the help of the FBI, secretly began an investigation of the best sightings, mostly from pilots and military personnel. Arnold's sighting, as well as that of the United Airlines crew, were included in the list of best sightings. Uh, three weeks later, they came to the conclusion that the saucer reports were not imaginary or adequately explained by natural phenomena. 
something real was flying around. And this laid the groundwork for another intelligence estimate uh, in September of 1947 by General Nathan Twining, uh, commanding officer of the Air Material Command, which likewise concluded the saucers were real and urged a formal investigation by multiple government agencies. Now, this in turn resulted in the formation of Project Sign at the end of 1947. The first publicly acknowledged U.S. Air Force UFO investigation. Project Sign eventually evolved into Project Grudge and then better known as Project Blue Book. So I believe that most of us are familiar with the Project Blue Book. Now, the personnel of the U.S. Air Force's Project Sign 1947 to 1949, also later studied Arnold's story, according to Major Edward J. Ruppelt. I believe that's how you say it. Don't beat me up over it, folks. Now, I found that there was, oh, this is, uh, this is a quote here. I found that there was a lot of speculation on this report. Uh, two factions joined up behind two lines of reasoning. One side said that Arnold had seen plain everyday jet airplanes flying in formation. The other side didn't buy this idea at all. They based their arguments on the fact that Arnold knew <clears throat> where the objects were when he timed them. So, you know, he was trying to eliminate the possibilities. Now, there was an old theory that maybe Arnold had seen uh, wind whipping snow, which, you know, if you live someplace up north, you have seen the snow kind of whip off of the mountains. Now, I, I've never seen anything that looked like, you know, UFOs as the snow in the wind. Who knows? I mean, I don't know. What do I know? Now, uh, they, they, he thought that uh, he's seen wind whipping snow along the mountain's ridges. So he asked Air Force investigators about this. I got a flat. I have a. I've got a flat impossible. So, <laughs> if I could spit that out, folks, I'd be doing good. I hope I'm not confusing you. Now, Stuart Campbell has said that the objects on a reported could have been mirages of several snow-capped peaks in the Cascade Range, which is very possible. I'm guessing. I mean, you put something in front of that. Uh, you know, whether it is some kind of uh, natural anomaly like uh, a bald spot from snow. There's no snow in that area. And if you see it just right, I mean, it's really going to look like something. Now, Campbell's calculation of the object's speed determined that they were traveling at roughly the same speed as Arnold's plane, indicating that the objects were, in fact, stationary. Now, mirages could have been caused by temperature inversions over several deep valleys in the line of sight, which is very possible. I mean, it's definitely something to look into because I don't know of anybody that's just going to jump to the conclusion of UFOs or paranormal or ghosts or anything without actually physically being able to, to uh, conduct some kind of uh, visual, you know, they're going to need some more proof. Now, 
Phillips Class cited an article by Kay Davidson in the San Francisco Examiner and arguing that Arnold might have misidentified meteors on June 24th of 1947. Uh, James Easton was the first of several skeptics to suggest that Arnold may have misidentified pelicans. The birds live in Washington region. Uh, they're rather large, with a wingspan, some of them, of over 9 foot 8 inches. Uh, they have a pale underside that can reflect light. Uh, can fly to they can fly at rather high altitudes and can appear to have a somewhat crescent-shaped profile when they're flying. So that's an interesting thought, too. But can they fly at 9,500 feet? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's quite a high distance. Now, in response to skeptical explanations, Bruce Maccabee, Bruce Maccabee, let's get it right, Todd, uh, says in a meteor theory would it require possibly slow speeds and duration for brightly glowing meteors on the horizontal trajectory. He says it is impossible for a bird to be as bright as reported by Arnold and that birds, which could not fly as fast as Arnold's plane, would have steadily moved backwards, not forwards, relative to his position. Now, Donald McKenzie was a Harford, Harvard I almost said Hartford. <laughs> now, uh, Donald Menzel. I don't even think I said his name right. Uh, Donald Menzel was a Harvard astronomer and one of the earliest UFO debunkers. Now, over the years, he offered several explanations for Arnold's 1947 sighting. Now, Bruce Maccabee disputed Menzel's explanations in a 1986 monograph. In 1953, Menzel suggested that Arnold had seen clouds of snow blown from the mountains south of Mount Rainier. Now, according to Maccabee, such snow clouds have a hazy light, not a mirror-like brilliance, Arnold reported. So further such clouds could not be in the rapid motion reported by Arnold. Nor would they account for Arnold first seeing the bright objects nor north of Rainier. Now, in 1963, Menzel proposed that Arnold had seen uh, orographic clouds or wave clouds. Maccabee says this is that hit, this conflicted with testimony from Arnold and others that the sky was clear and, again, can't account for the objects reported brightness and rapid motion over a very large uh, angular region. In 1971... Menzel said that Arnold may have merely seen spots of water on his airplane's windows. Now, Maccabee says that this contradicts Arnold's testimony that he specifically ruled out water spots uh, or reflections uh, shortly after seeing the nine UFOs. Um, and, for example, the early Bill Baquette article on June 26th in the East Oregonian has Arnold saying he at first thought that maybe he was seeing reflections off his windows, but he still saw objects after rolling it down. How interesting, folks. I mean, you have to think about it uh, logically. Now, here's a guy that claims 
that he's seen nine UFOs. Now, of course, the government, they're going to say, well, you know, that was just a weather balloon or, you know, that was just whatever. But uh, and of course, you're always going to have your skeptics out there that are like, yeah, whatever. You know, we we know that uh, it's full of malarkey. So and then, of course, you're going to have like the diehard believers. They're going to be the ones that are like, oh, my God, you know, let's uh Let's run for cover because, you know, they're going to come get us. We're going to have an alien invasion. But it's up to you, folks. What do you believe? I mean, I hear different cases all the time of people claiming that they've seen uh, UFOs. They have some kind of footage they took from their cell phone. And now, and now, we don't know what it is. Now, some of the things that we, we can look and identify quite easily just by a little bit of study. But some of them, I have no idea. I've seen a lot, and I just cannot fathom what some of these things are. Now, I know we have tons of, uh, you know, Earthlink satellites up there. I mean, there's thousands, but... It's hard to tell right now what we're seeing. And back in those days, in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, we didn't have all them satellites. So what could it have been? Yes, we did have some, we did have technology that the government was working on, such as the flying wing and things like that. Things that would, if we would see it, we would definitely say that it was something top secret. And it could have been, and the, and the government was claiming that it was weather balloons or what have you. Because, of course, they can't say, oh, yeah, you know, we had, you know, nine top secret craft out there flying around. So they, they, they're not going to say that. So, But, folks, it was awesome talking to you tonight. And I'll tell you what, it's up to you, folks. You believe whatever it is you believe. If you don't believe, then don't believe it. If you believe it, then believe it. If you are, uh, I don't want to say skeptical because, uh, you know, skeptics are good to have around because, you know, they're going to question everything. And, and that's a good thing. You know, having somebody with a scientific mind is uh, definitely good but it's always good to have an open imagination as well and not just an open imagination but it's good to have um to be open-minded where once you get out of all the possibilities of what's logic then you can move into what's not logic so you know i love that that kind of thing and we all know that you know you can't prove the paranormal uh 100 so you're always going to have that 1% where you're going to be scratching your head going, hmm, this could possibly be something. But as it's really classified, a UFO, which is unidentified, that's exactly what we will have. So we have to go by one's experience. And, you know, not everyone's experience is credible. So you need to, you know, <laughs> just because they wear a suit doesn't mean they're credible. We all know that by some of the leaders of this country. But, uh, yes, thank you very much, everyone, for joining in with us. Hit the like button, the subscribe button, that little bell thing. And uh, keep listening, okay, folks? This will be all over the place. All right, I want to thank you so much. And I hope everyone has a wonderful evening or day or whenever it is you're listening to this. All right, thank you, everybody. Have a good one.